0: From AccuWeather.com, this is Everything Under the Sun, our weekly podcast with stories about the weather and climate. This is number eight in our summer series, focusing on how to get you ready for all that summer has to offer. I'm your host, meteorologist Dean DeVore. It's been a busy week for me, coming off my... Summer vacation week. You may remember I was up on Cape Cod last week. Well, now I've been getting back into the grind, but it hasn't been easy. There's been so much weather news to talk about, like that epic northeast heat wave that we saw. And then storms in the upper Great Lakes and into the northeast over the last couple of days, which have tried to break that heat wave down. And then after a quiet few weeks, the tropics have heated up. As of this recording... Heading into the weekend, we have a name storm in the eastern Pacific and likely could have two name storms to watch in the Atlantic Basin. While many of us have been spending evenings and early mornings gazing at the wonder of comet Neowise in the sky, one of the uh, few things we didn't expect in 2020 that turned out pretty good, our attentions quickly get dragged back down to earth with the ever-increasing violence we see in some cities and the growing angst about the rising numbers of COVID-19 cases and whether or not we're on track to keep reopening more and more, whether or not in-person school and even sports, including football, will be be part of the landscape this coming fall. As we head into the last weekend of July, I wanted to check in with the founder and CEO of AccuWeather and AccuWeather.com, Dr. Joel Myers, and get his perspective of where we are in the fight against COVID-19 and follow up on some of his earlier visits with us when he talked about the fresh air and maximization of social distancing and how those could help fight against the virus. Then we'll check in with AccuWeather's gardening expert, Brian May, we try to battle these long, hot stretches of mid to late summer heat and humidity. What are some of the things that we can do to keep our flowers and produce growing in our gardens when it gets hot? And finally, a look at the weekend forecast and beyond with a focus on who gets relief from the heat, who doesn't, and where the tropics are heating up. We have another busy show planned this week. Friends, join me now as we talk about everything under the sun. And in our opening focus, it is my pleasure to welcome in the founder and CEO of AccuWeather and AccuWeather.com, Dr. Joel Myers. Joel, I was just looking back. You know, we had you on Everything Under the Sun in our opening COVID series back on March 26th. The uh, last time we haven't had you on since April. So it's been about three or four months. It's, it's hard to believe that it's been four months since we started the COVID series. Here we are well into summer. Entering the final week of July. It's been an amazing couple of months, and I just wanted to take some time and check in with you not only about uh, some things that uh, we talk about in the news, and it seems like some of the things that you were talking about early on have uh, really come to fruition in some of the ways we're thinking about how we're dealing with COVID 19, and maybe even more specifically, some of the great things that AccuWeather has been doing since March, April, May, June, and July to really uh, help people get through COVID and really get through with their lives in this busy weather time. I mean, look at all the things that are going on in the weather. Massive heat waves and the tropics are amazingly active right now. So, so many things going on. First of all, Joel, how are you and your family and how are things going this summer for you?
2: I'm doing uh, great. I'm dealing with a uh, unique situation. Hopefully, uh, this too shall pass. Keeping... uh, happy, uh, working, active, and try to contribute.
0: And it seems like every day is a new challenge when you look at everything going on. But, you know, early on in this, Joel, I think, uh, I know you're proud of the actions that the company took, the executive team and the folks. We formed a COVID task force early. And not only did we take steps to protect our company and those that work with us, but then also to try to help everybody deal with this. Uh, We started that COVID Daily Digest, which became extremely popular on the website. One of the things that I found uh, amazing was our COVID map tracker. You know, We started it not because everybody else was doing it. We just felt that we could do maps and graphically represent how this virus was spreading better. And we got great uh, feedback from that. You know, some other things like AccuWeather School, now AccuWeather Summer Camp. um, Those are just some things we did early on. And then it kind of grew from there. You got to be proud of the way that your company and your team have handled this situation going from the very beginning.
2: Oh, extremely proud, Dean. I mean, uh, what we've always been uh, proud of and effective at is entrepreneurism, being able to pivot and and, uh, to whatever the world throws at us and what opportunities uh, are out there to help people and companies live their lives better, safer, and more profitably and and more effectively. And so wherever the weather and the environment plays a role and where people and companies can face with decisions around that, our objective is to help them make better decisions.
0: And one of the early aspects of that is our AccuWeather for Business folks giving free SkyGuard service to hospitals. And now I think even more so of importance, uh, the temporary testing structures that keep springing up across the country with testing becoming more and more uh, kind of a a key factor in fighting COVID and figuring out where we go from here, right?
2: Yeah, well, they're outdoor activities, of course, sometimes with tents and people at risk if severe weather should strike Uh, high winds, hail lightning strikes, and of course, tornadoes, which can be devastating. And so yeah, we uh, signed up, uh, provided free service to uh, 500 hospitals, I think in 43 states, took advantage of this unique service where we provide uh, the greatest lead time on uh, severe weather of any source, greater accuracy, greater pinpoint accuracy, the elimination of false alarms, Sometimes when there's a general warning out, but it doesn't apply to the particular point. So by tailoring it to a specific point on the map, we're able to uh, localize and provide more lead time and more accuracy and, and eliminate false alarms. And so to keep people safe, but at the same time, let operations continue to run when there's not a serious threat. Uh, Yeah, we had no idea how many uh, hospitals because we serve hospitals for pay, as you may know, and medical centers for this unique service. This is part of our business because our forecasts of these severe events are the best available from any source in the world. Very proud of it. Unique capability by intellectual property patents, but also the unique skill of these teams that have been trained. And, and evolved in severe weather techniques. But this is free service to contribute in this uh, unique COVID world. This is uh, uh, what we're very proud of, uh, services that would have cost millions of dollars for these hospitals to buy, but uh, giving them away to protect the people, the patients, and so on. So extremely proud of that adventure it has been going on. These hospitals have been using the service for several months now.
0: You and I have talked before. Uh my DNA as a person and the DNA of the company of AccuWeather, this entrepreneurial spirit has always gone hand in hand for me personally. And we have so many people that are like that. And through some great conversations, you know, we came up with a couple of things. I think one of the things we realized that people would be spending a lot more time indoors. Uh, So while the outdoor weather Forecast is important. It was also important to talk about indoor humidity and, and, and some other things about indoor life uh, that could contribute to having a, a great day as well. And so those are things that came up. And then, well, um, a healthier
2: day, Dean. Yep. So what we find is that it, this indoor humidity is going to be particularly valuable in the wintertime. What people don't realize, of course, if it's very dry, you're uh, much more susceptible to catching cold, getting sick, and so on, because your membranes dry out. On cold winter days, when the temperature outside, say maybe in the teens or 20s, if you take that air, even if it's saturated, of course, it's usually not, inside and heat it up to 70 degrees which was what happens. So, so if you don't contribute any humidity inside the house, which most heating units do not, uh, the humidity may fall, if it's you know that cold outside, to 10, 15, 20%. And that's a health risk. And a lot of people don't realize that. So for example, in New York City, there may be 10, 15, 20, 25 days like that, depending on how cold the winter is, where the indoor humidity can be very low and can greatly increase your risk. So being aware of those days and being extra careful, getting a little extra sleep, trying to maybe put some pans of water around in the house, think sure to water your plants a little more, and a variety of things like that to be to raise the humidity inside. So this is a real health benefit. We also, of course, recently, just within a matter of weeks, added the most complete air quality forecast. Both data and forecasts pinpointed every place in the world Uh, using the AccuWeather forecast and unique air quality information. So this is the most complete and best and most accurate forecast and and data on particulates in the air that can be harmful, as well as gases. Now, why is air quality important? Well, not only for asthma and and all the other diseases that are amplified by poor air, but there's so many other health negative effects. You know, It's been estimated by experts in various studies that somewhere between 4.2 million and 20 million people a year die because of bad air, and a multiple of that suffer health risk or shortened life. Now, that's an amazing impact of bad air. And of course, during the forest fires uh, a few years ago, the three cities with the worst air in the world were California cities. So it affects, it can affect people anywhere, and you got to be tuned into it because, um, uh, uh, you know we don't have events like we used to when there was a London smog that would kill five, ten thousand people in a matter of days, or Denora, Pennsylvania, back at, around 1950, where 48 people died in a week in a small town because of the intense smog. But it all adds up, and it, it's not that dramatic, but it's insidious, and and so many other things like that that we offer to keep people healthy that are on our new app, for example and on
0: AccuWeather.com. Yeah, we're going to talk about the new app here in a second, but the partnership with Plume Labs, and we talked with them here a few weeks ago on Everything Under the Sun is amazing, and we look forward to that. And then the one other thing that I thought was uh, was really a, a great idea from folks came from uh, kind of the genesis from our president Steve Smith, and really resonated with uh, many of the meteorologists who have children and those who don't that are like to be teachers. We have we started AccuWeather School when school was in session. We've gone to AccuWeather Summer Camp now with great lessons about the science and. You know, it's been amazing to watch wise something that we didn't expect to see in the sky, this great comet this last uh, week or so. You know, that kind of thing with the helping folks uh, teach their kids in this uh, new world of education and then keep that going over the summer. And I know we're going to resume Mackey Weather School in the, the fall. Another thing to be proud of about some of the great uh, ideas that come out from our company.
2: Thank you. We well, try and be creative and contribute. And uh, there's some of the things that we've done and uh, again very proud of the creativity and innovation for some of these ideas. A number of them come from all levels within the company.
0: Joel, we're going to take a little bit of a break. When we come back, we're going to talk to Dr. Joel and Myers, our founder and CEO, get a kind of an update on where his thinking is. A lot of the things that he was talking to us about several months ago are now becoming more standard accepted practice as we fight COVID-19, kind of get his thought as we get into the future, the rest of the summer and early fall and what may happen and beyond. We'll take a break and be back with more after this on everything under the sun. Make AccuWeather Daily a part of your daily routine. Enable the flash briefing and say, Alexa, what's my flash briefing? To access this content on Google Assistant, all you have to say is, hey Google, talk to AccuWeather Daily. You'll get the top trending weather story of the day, every day. Welcome back to everything under the sun. I'm AccuWeather Meteorologist Dean DeVore. We are joined by founder and CEO of AccuWeather and AccuWeather.com. Dr. Joel Myers, as we continue our conversation catching up, it's been three months, which is hard to believe that we haven't talked in that long, but uh, coming through summer now with the things that we are seeing and hearing. Every day, it seems changing new information. We're getting good news about the potential for virus uh, immunizations and vaccines. Still, testing is uh, something that's really been a a challenge. Numbers, speed of getting the results and the accuracy of the results in terms of the actual virus of antibodies as well. But, you know, I wanted to go back to some of the things, Joel, that you and I talked about in some of our early discussions about this. And it seems like those things that you were bringing up uh, two, three, four months ago, are certainly becoming accepted in things that people can do to try to uh, fight the virus. One of these things that came up was the question whether air conditioning and spending time in an enclosed space is actually detrimental to you. And I know you've been preaching the idea of fresh air all the time, and we uh, fight this virus here over the last couple of months.
2: Well, thanks, Dean. Yeah. In fact, I urged uh, uh, that the maintenance people at AccuWeather, starting in late February, start regularly opening the doors to let air flow through the building as much as possible to protect our people, because the movement of air reduces the density and the concentration of any virus. So when you have to think of it that way, it comes naturally, I think, to me, a meteorologist, because we're not always thinking about air movement and so on, but it may not be as obvious to everybody, so perhaps we can do a better job of explaining it. But I guess it would be if you're concentrated in a room And there's no air motion, obviously, then the same air is just circulating around a little bit. People are breathing in and breathing out uh, the same uh, air. And so if someone is sick in that room over the course of several hours, everybody in that room is inhaling a significant number of uh, coronavirus particles, which may make uh, and will make some of them sick. So you ought to think of it that way. So limited to a box. Then if you circulate the air, if it's an air conditioner just circulating the air within it, uh, that room, and not really cleaning the air, which most of them don't do, you may be actually enhancing the uh, spread of the virus because you're uh, just mixing the air even more frequently. On the other hand, if you're outside, not only is there a movement, but the air moves horizontally and vertically, So the air is certainly, uh, then the particles are diluted much more. Think of a glass of water. If you pour a little bit of food coloring into the water, it'll start to change color to that from clear. And the more you put in, the greater the concentration and the deeper and deeper the color. On the other hand... If you keep adding water at the same rate that you're adding the food color, the color won't get any darker. And, and, and that's what we're talking about here. In fact, if you add more water than food coloring, it'll dilute the color even more. And so think of it that way. So right. when you're outside and, and you're at a distance and the air's moving both horizontally and vertically, clearly the risk of people inhaling, it, particularly if they're wearing masks, and doing any, setting up any barrier, and glasses even help preventing it from getting into your eyes, whatever barrier you have is going to help. And it's all a statistical kind of thing. So we talked about that in the very beginning, and the same holds true. Now, what does that mean going forward? As people are out and about, and they're taking these precautions, less spread. But when people are then confined by cold weather and bad weather to inside, then the risk of catching if there are people that are sick uh, is going to increase.
0: Also, when you're outside too, Joel, it, it's also, there's other things in the atmosphere that also help fight the disease and stuff too. So fresh air, you know, not only the movement of it, but uh, everything else that's outside too. I mean, it's it has to be good to get outside. Now, we're getting into that push and pull. It seemed like Things were starting to try to reopen. We got to a point we started to see numbers come up and now it uh, seems like we're right on the edge of whether some areas want to go back with more restrictions. Uh, you and I happen to be probably two of the biggest college football fans here. And of course, everybody wonders, are we going to play college football? The NFL seems to be going ahead with plans to play even without folks in the stands, you know, a lot of things to consider, I think folks are just wondering what the fall will be like. Do you have, I'm not asking you to pull out a crystal ball, but do you have some thoughts here as we go over the next couple of weeks, some things that you want well, to Well, we're say, getting
2: beyond uh, weather now here, Dean, and, and into, uh, certainly I'm a big uh, college football fan, I'm a big Penn State fan. You know, I've only missed uh, seven home football games since I arrived on the Penn State campus in 1958 you know, that's part of my life and I'm going to be disappointed because I'm not going to go to the stands this year, even if they're available, because I'm not going to take the risk. But uh, hopefully I'll watch the games on television. I think the risk is that if a couple of players on one team get it, they either won't play or the whole team may be infected. And so what happens then? So uh, I'm, hopeful, I'm hopeful that sports will resume. Major League Baseball starts today. Or, and um, I'm hopeful that there will be games but it's really hard to predict because there's so many different risks. Clearly, we're not over this virus by any means. We're gonna have to be battling it. Amazing scientific progress. Let me just wrap up with this. We are in a better position to overcome a disease like this than we've ever been. Why is that? Because we have great scientists. We have uh, science, science has progressed, keeps progressing. Science is, you know, the savior in so many ways. And uh, we have great universities in the United States and in other parts of the world. And and scientists are able to communicate faster and more completely than ever before through the internet, which didn't exist uh, 100 years ago in the Spanish flow and so on. So uh, clearly, there's been, as you said in the beginning, challenges with the testing, although the United States has conducted more than 50 million tests. And remember, four or five months ago, nobody was expecting this you go back 10, 20, 50, 100 years, 1,000 years, we wouldn't have had any way to fight this. But now we're already developing vaccines in many parts of the world. People are this cooperation, antibody tests. Amazing progress is being made behind the scenes. Just the mortality rate has diminished significantly because of uh, this exchange of information on the internet. Doctors and hospitals and nurses have had more and more experience in determining what works and what doesn't work. And so the survival rate is increasing with each passing week. And there's very little comment about that, but look at the mortality rate, how it's declining as doctors figure out how, what best procedures are, what medicines to give, when, to reduce the intensity of the symptoms, to increase the chance of people getting when to put people on respirators, what to do with the right. Just the number of people that are on respirators the percentage that survived keeps increasing with each passing week. So there are a lot of positives uh, in all this led by science and the connectivity and the communications uh, driven uh, available through the internet and modern science.
0: Well, Joel, thank you for your time today. appreciate those comments. Uh, yeah, It's been interesting. I mean, I don't think uh, we've ever seen the scientific process play out as uh, rapidly as it is in front of us. It's almost like, Play by play every day, you get a, a new piece of information, and certainly. And you know the
2: interesting thing is, it's uh, it is global cooperation, but there's global competition, right? Which is a good thing. The capitalism of the companies trying to race against each other to get the first vaccine, to develop these other treatments, to figure out which medicines work, and so let's never lose track of that. The capitalism, the profit motive of these companies to accelerate progress if it was just all run by the government who knows where we'd be thank you very much dean
0: joel thank you it's been amazing to catch up and revisit some of those ideas that we talked about so early on here as we got ready to fight against COVID 19 and we'll keep an eye on things as we head into the fall and check in with you again friends we're going to take a break on everything under the sun when we come back we're going to head into the garden It has been a long, hot stretch in some areas here over the last couple of weeks. Not a lot of water in some places coming naturally. What are some things you can do to keep your garden in tip-top shape in some of these long stretches of heat and humidity this summer? That's coming up next on Everything Under the Sun.
3: Listen to Weather Insider every weekday for a discussion on trending weather news with me, Bernie Reno, and Evan Myers. You'll get detailed insight into major weather events and learn the why behind the weather. Just subscribe to Weather Insider on your favorite podcast
0: platforms today. And welcome back to Everything Under the Sun. From AccuWeather.com, my meteorologist Dean DeVore. As I said in the open, coming off of vacation week, it's been busy Had to spend a few days uh, kind of tidying up the garden. We did have some watering help while I was away for vacation week. But man, in these stretches of hot, dry weather, things can get away from you quickly in the garden. Thought it was time to check in with our own weather expert when it comes to gardening. AccuWeathers, Brian May, joins me on everything under the sun. Brian, as we look at this late summer period, I know that, you know, I was just away for a week and I was very fortunate to have some good watering help while I was away because we had a week here where we hardly had any rain in uh, central uh, Pennsylvania. And so without that, I think some of my stuff, uh, especially my dahlias are really popping now. And yeah. oh my goodness, the hydrangeas are looking amazing after being so scared that we got that early frost and and uh, they're really pushing. But you know, as we go through the next couple of weeks, it looks like we're going to see more and more long stretches of this heat and humidity, especially even in places that don't get those kinds. I mean, we're just coming off at least a three, four, five-day heat wave in New York City and up into New England. It's been awfully hot and humid, so I wanted to talk to you a little bit about some of the things that we can do to kind of manage your garden in this heat. What are some things that you uh, recommend to do to keep folks... uh, Keeping the gardens pretty when it's all hot and dry.
3: Sure. So managing the uh, gardens in the heat can be a bit of a challenge, but there are ways to um, kind of stay ahead of it. So let's break it down in terms of um, your perennial garden, and then we'll talk about your vegetables. So with perennials, the good news is that anything that's blooming now is, is pretty much used to the heat and actually likes it. So remember other weeks we talked about there are different little mini seasons within the gardening season. So right now we're into the midsummer blooms where you have your coneflower and your black-eyed Susans and, and you mentioned dahlias and butterfly bushes and all those great spectacular things that are blooming now. They're fine with the heat. As a general rule, Mulching is always a great way to hold in the moisture for them.
0: Right. So if you do some watering, you want to try to protect that from evaporating out. And so a little extra mulch here in some of these hot, dry times after you've watered kind of helps lock that moisture into the plants a bit.
3: Sure, absolutely. And also, uh, as much as we hate to do it in the heat, pulling the weeds out is essential. The weeds tend to suck up a lot of that moisture that the perennials need. uh, So you want to get those out of the way.
0: Do I need to shade some things like... Uh, a few of my uh, my hydrangeas, uh, if I hadn't shaded them one day, I thought they were going to all go away. It was just, they just looked awful. You know, if, I, I found that if you've had something that you've either transplanted this uh, early in the season or maybe not was doing so well early, that you might want to take a little bit of uh, some, provide some temporary shade in those long, hot days when there's no relief at all.
3: And most perennials will let you know what they need. Um, Like you said, if you you notice some some yellow spots and brown spots, they'll uh, let you know that they need some shade. And it's a good idea. Especially, I'm thinking also of hydrangea. They prefer actually afternoon shade. Mm. So... You know, when we get into late morning in this
0: kind of heat,
3: Mm -hmm. um, you want to give them a little bit of shade until the main shade.
0: So, Brian, let's talk a little bit about watering because there are differences uh, between watering for vegetables and perennials and annuals. And a couple of things that I've been kind of cognizant of, I made the mistake of watering a little early in the morning yesterday and I I wasn't careful and I got some water up on the leaves and the next thing I know uh, that water on the leaf caused some problems because of that water acts like what a a prism on a leaf and can can be dangerous so if you're doing early morning watering I think you want to really concentrate on the base of the plant the roots rather than the leaves
3: for watering you want to go deep you want to, you don't have to spray the whole plant. Just, just do around the base of the plant. Or if you're watering with a pitcher, just just do the base. Um, and you can kind of do around, not even so much the, the stem of the plant, you can do around. If you remember when you planted it, when you dug that hole and water around that whole area, and that will tend to get more of the roots that are growing off to the side of the plant.
0: Right, uh, because hopefully you've done the good planting where you've kind of spread the roots out a little bit as you set that plant down, and so they are sure. spreading out. So, yeah. Um, and then what are some of the differences between watering for vegetables and perennials versus annuals and that kind of thing? Sure. So
3: for perennials, generally about an inch of water a week is what they require. Now, in this, in the heavy heat like we're in now, it's not a bad idea to give them... Um, you know, every other day, give them some water. They'll let you know. Just if you see some some leaves wilting or, or yellowing, then, you know, it's a good idea to water them. Annuals are a little bit different because here's where we get into some annuals just won't make it in the heat, in the sun. They need a little more shade and require more water. Some of your, your General annuals through the summer, like your geraniums and marigolds, they love the sun and the heat. They're fine. But generally, every other day, give them some water. In pots, obviously, you need to
0: water those. Much more frequently, yeah. Those those are the ones, when I came back from vacation, that definitely had the most uh, little damage to them here uh, over the last week. Uh,
3: Vegetable gardening is a little bit different. Now, remember that plants um, are composed of about 80 to 90% of water. So they require that much water to keep going. The heat doesn't bother them so much. The heat they like because they need 85 to 90 degree weather.
0: Um, they need that heat, that uh, the solar yeah. energy. That's what provides them to grow. And then when you're growing that much, you got to feed yourself with the water that's so important to them, right?
3: And there is a difference between sun-loving vegetables and um, what we call cool weather vegetables. Um, your sun lovers are like your, your tomatoes and melons and corn. Zucchini. Right. And uh, your cool weather vegetables, which you kind of want to do either before the heavy heat of summer or going into fall, like your peas, cabbage and broccoli and all of those types of plants. But generally the the sun loving vegetables, which you're focusing on right now, they need a lot of water probably every day. And if you have a big garden, I would invest in a, a soaker hose.
0: So the other thing I think that's important this time of year, and I think early or or people that garden that are just getting into it, they hate to do it. But the more I've done it, I've realized the better results. And that's kind of just removing dead blooms, deadheading, taking things away, things that bloomed, as you said earlier in the season, like my daylilies are starting to kind of compact a little bit and i'm kind of clearing those out but you want to make room for the things that are still growing through mid to late summer and give them some room to expand and kind of cut back uh here's one asiatic lilies mine bloomed about and were done about two weeks ago when do i cut those down to the base or do i leave those grow a little bit more and keep the greenery
3: with lilies, uh, the Asiatic lily variety, you want to leave the stem up as long as you can. Um, if there's a way you have to camouflage it, like if you have other perennials growing around it, kind of hide up. But what it does, it gives energy to the bulb that's growing in the ground. So it is best to leave the stem up for as long as you can.
0: Yeah, until it starts to turn yellow. And then, then that's your sign that, hey, I'm not doing as much... For to transfer the energy from the leaf and the, and the stem to the bulb anymore. I'm right. done with that, and so you can be done with me too. Sure. Speaking of bulbs, i got uh, time for one more thing. Yes. At least here in the Northeast, we have had an overabundance of chipmunks. In fact, Uh-oh. I just read a story on that. Yeah. Um, you know, there was a warm winter, tons of acorns this year. The chipmunks just went crazy, and now the chipmunks are after my – Tulip bulbs, I... I... I swear every day when I'm going around my garden area, I find four, five, six, seven more tulip bulbs that they've dug up, realized, what, this isn't a nut. I don't really like this. And then they just kind of throw it away. So, how can we keep chipmunks and other animals from feasting on those bulbs? Because, you know, I spent a lot of money on some of those good bulbs.
3: Right, they're pricey and there's nothing worse than seeing a squirrel run by with a hyacinth bulb planted, you know. So, there are some options for you. Number one, there are a lot of very safe non-pesticide products available in your local garden center that um, will just do nothing more than leave a bad taste in the mouth of a rabbit or chipmunk or whatever is is bowls right bowls are yes. big
0: in the gardens now those little they yeah. look like mice but they kind of go right under the surface
3: sure there's there's um one I'm thinking of is called repel all okay and it is for uh, groundhogs and and to keep deer away you just spray it on the the leaf and it, and it will leave a bad taste in your mouth now for bulbs when you plant those there are some products um, and one is actually bone meal you sprinkle that on to the bulb as you're planting it um, it makes it uh, undesirable to the uh, little varmint and uh, hopefully keep it away.
0: Well, that's uh, certainly something I'm going to look at here the next couple of uh, uh, weeks and yeah, and yeah, another I think
3: is to just simply dig out the toilet bulbs and that way store them until the fall and you can replant them maybe in a better location
0: i don't have that kind of time Ryan. Come on, man. <laughs> no. i know so yeah they do well or they'll put the bulbs in don't they have those like packages or almost like a uh, wire things uh, where you can put the bulbs in sure. and then dig take them out and then put them back in in the fall yeah. well i guess uh we'll just give a couple of bulbs to the chipmunks anything else uh, here as we get ready to transition from mid to late summer in your garden that you can think of here brian
3: Uh, It's just time to start thinking about your fall garden. Now's the time to uh, clean out the old stuff and uh, get ready for your mums and your asters and all those pretty things for the fall.
0: I've had some hearty mums that uh, came back and look like they're going to, Produce some amazing situations here later on as we get into the fall. Brian, always great to talk to you. Brian May, uh, he runs his own landscaping business and also is uh, uh, one of the, the key people in keeping the operation of our radio service going. Brian May, thanks for being with us on Everything Under the Sun. When we come back to Everything Under the Sun, we'll check in with Bob Smurbeck, a senior meteorologist, about this upcoming weekend and who may get some rain and who will get some relief from the heat for their gardens and who may have to watch the tropics. All coming up next. This is Everything Under the Sun from AccuWeather.com. Whether you're at home getting ready for work, packing the kids' lunch, or commuting, listen to AccuWeather Daily, subscribe on your favorite podcast platform, and you'll get the top trending weather story of the day every day. And welcome back to this very busy edition of Everything Under the Sun. I'm AccuWeather meteorologist Dean DeVore. Again, appreciated our opening segments with founder and CEO of AccuWeather and AccuWeather.com, Dr. Joel Myers. And we just got out of the garden with Brian May, and now it's time to talk about the Weather for the upcoming weekend and the early week beyond, and we got a lot to talk about. Um, we're welcoming in one of my favorite people at AccuWeather, he always finds a way to make me smile and laugh. And that is AccuWeather Senior Meteorologist and the person who kind of coordinates our continuous improvement training here at AccuWeather, which is very important. Just like anything else here, a meteorologist, we need to learn something new every day. And I welcome in Bob Smurbeck. And it's kind of funny, Bob, we're talking gardening and you're well known for growing some hot peppers in your garden. How are those looking here on this uh, late July? Uh, they're month?
1: going good, Dean. In fact, I can look out right now and uh, keep an eye on the garden because there's been a groundhog who's been uh, wandering around. I think he ate a, one of my pepper plants, or at least oh, tried to. Geez. So if I catch him in the act, he, he's going right in a cage or something like that.
0: Do you, uh, you're, you're more of a gardener for vegetables, right? You're not so, so much so for, for the flower stuff, right? More, more vegetables. Yeah, I'm stuff.
1: more of the vegetable garden. My wife grows the flowers, so her flowers are um, just starting to bloom right now. So things are going pretty good right now.
0: Yeah, the only uh, the only complaint that I've had uh, this summer is, uh, you know, obviously we've really had to water here locally where we are in central Pennsylvania uh, but uh And then the chipmunks have been oh. Taking, oh, yeah. uh, taking aim at our tulip beds and all those uh, bulbs. So, Smurvy, let's talk. It's not like we don't have much to talk about. We shouldn't really be killing time here. This is a, a busy pattern heading into this weekend. Um, we're looking at this as we record this segment now on Friday midday. We've uh, just... About uh, broken all the heat and humidity for a little bit in New York City. They had some really heavy downpours come through late Thursday. And then even Friday morning, there were still some heavy downpours coming through there. Uh, Boston had some earlier, too. But it looks like that little northeast section uh, going into the weekend gets a little relief. Not as much as we saw in the modeling earlier in the week when we were looking at this, but a little bit of relief before the heat and humidity builds. And my goodness, my friend, it looks like another long heat wave in for the northeast of New England, three, four, five days again of 90-plus New York City over to Boston as we head into the early part of next week.
1: Uh, That's right, Dean. Uh, uh, There's a front that's uh, just south of New York City right now. And uh, as we head into uh, Friday evening, into Friday night, into Saturday, some uh, drier air will move in uh, from the north. It's already moving into parts of upstate New York and New England. That will press southward through the weekend. Uh, One thing about the air mass, it's drier, so it's just a maybe just a tad less humid, but it's still a pretty warm air mass. Uh, So temperatures will be on the warm side, but there won't be that oppressive humidity. At least uh, the first part of the weekend. Maybe the uh, humidity tries to start returning slightly uh, by Sunday, but definitely by Monday. That's uh, going to be pretty brutal across the uh, northeast corridor there.
0: Yeah, the the last heat wave for uh, New York City up to Boston really started getting going. That's uh, last Saturday, uh, and then was around into about Monday or Tuesday before the break. This one starts a little later. I I agree with that. I think, I, I mean, I to me it's close, murby. Uh, whether or not New York City gets to 90 on Saturday, it's probably within a degree or two, right. but it's almost definite we're going to have at least another three-day uh, heat wave there will be the second one. And you know, we were having a little joke in the office, what are the over-unders for, uh, that's a betting situation for those who don't know, <laughs> what's the over-under for more heat waves in New York City, including this one, like two and a half, three, there could be two or three, three, four stretches, even into September where we see multiple days of 90 plus.
1: Yeah, I, I agree with that. Uh, the, the way the pattern is, there's a big ridge of high pressure, mostly over the middle of the country, and there's somewhat of a west-northwest flow uh, from the Great Lakes into the northeast. So if it's dry, that's somewhat of a warm flow in the summertime. In the wintertime, it's a whole different ballgame. So at times, it's, uh, disturbances come through and bring a little, a little more refreshing air mass in, but it's usually still warm, maybe a little less humid. Uh, Maybe more seasonal. But as soon as that air mass moves away, boom, the the heat comes right back. And then heat usually lasts for for several days in a row. And we're going to see that happen again later this weekend at the early next week.
0: All right. So this weekend, that heat is bottled up kind of in the middle of the country before it makes that surge up into the northeast. But um, as we get later in the weekend and then early next week, there's another bit of relief that is going to come down first into the Northern Plains and then make its way over to Chicago, Detroit, maybe Monday into Tuesday. And then that looks like it gives us a little relief from this next heat wave in the Northeast. So there is some light in the tunnel middle of this upcoming week that the Northeast gets a little comfortable again. But I think then we're back to the races building in. Uh, Let's turn our attention. Uh, We want to update the latest information on the tropics. We now do have two named systems in the Atlantic Basin. We have Douglas in the Pacific, uh, which has gone from the Eastern Pacific now to the Central Pacific as it makes its way towards uh, Hawaii. Again, if you're listening to this podcast, uh, if you want specific forecasting for the Atlantic Basin stuff, you want to get on to AccuWeather.com and AccuWeather. These are going to be general thoughts as we record this on Friday. But, you know, Gonzalo, a very compact storm, not much impact where it's going to hit. It may kind of pulse to a, a, a Category 1 briefly as it goes over the leewards and then kind of uh, weaken, we expect, as it gets into the Eastern Caribbean. I want to spend more time on Hannah with you because I know you spend a lot of time uh, times in our hurricane center in our tropics and you see these systems all the time and the concern is as a system approaches the uh, western gulf there and in a space where there hasn't been any upheaval in that water it's bathwater, upper 80s that these things can ramp up quickly and uh, we're concerned about that in terms of the impact for hannah rain we know is going to be an impact but how much wind impact could we see as we go through this weekend those are beginning the big questions right
1: Oh, yes. Uh, Right now, the strongest winds are just to the east side of uh, Hannah. There's a little more openness on the uh, north and western side of Hannah, where most of the heavy rain and strong winds are on the east side. But the conditions are favorable for that uh, to kind of balance itself out. So we do expect uh, perhaps a more balanced uh, system as it moves toward the Texas coast. Now, if a lot of the uh, heavy thunderstorms shift, to the north and west of the center kind of uh, even even out the whole circulation then you got to watch out for uh, uh intensification
0: Rapidly, as it's coming right? Through texas yeah, rapid, right yeah rapid intensification
1: well i'm not sure about that yeah there's a lot of dry air that's in place over okay uh, texas so that it's going to have to fight that off but yeah we've seen some systems coming in let's uh, say perpendicular to the texas coast uh, they have a tendency to intensify all the way to the coast, so that is a concern. We're watching.
0: Yeah, so we'll keep an eye on that uh, the the Texas Gulf Coast and then the mountains as this thing comes in. I think uh, the mountains of Mexico could squeeze out a lot of rain. We got uh, weather storm axes as we we're recording this on Friday of twelve over Texas and I think sixteen or so yeah. foot and a half up into the mountains of Mexico. Um, yeah, this just is not have a you good have of you time. looked out? A little farther east, is there anything else that we're kind of concerned about? Or are these are enough to, to, to take us into next week in terms of what we're looking at in the tropics?
1: Well, there's definitely a, a, a robust tropical wave uh, just off the African coast. The atmosphere is, is more favorable for development from, let's say, east of the Caribbean toward over toward Africa. Right. And so it's not out of question that this thing starts to organize uh, you know, over the next couple of days. Kind of like what happened to gonzalo it uh, but, but now that when it gets a little further to the west, a little more hostile environment over the Caribbean, so that's uh something we'll keep in mind, but yeah, this is a very robust tropical wave is uh just west of Africa right now, and it's possible that 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 could develop over the weekend.
0: Bob, it's uh, great to talk to you. Thanks so much for being with us. Uh, So much to keep track of. Again, if you're listening to this, this is being recorded uh, midday Friday. If you want the latest on both Gonzalo and Hannah, make sure that you check in with AccuWeather and AccuWeather.com on our Twitter feeds, on our website, and we'll keep you up to date with everything else. That'll do it for another busy episode. We thank Dr. Joel Myers. Brian May and Bob Smurbeck. Friends, uh, we know that you want to keep up to date with the latest weather information. We have a new app. But to do it it's already been updated on the apple side it's coming soon and fully updated on the android side as well we'll be talking about that in the coming weeks as we start to close out summer and we'll be looking at uh, some of the uh, follow-up stories to some of the crop situations we were talking about a few weeks ago with our own acuweather meteorologist in terms of agriculture and we'll keep you up to date on the latest in the tropics too over the next couple of weeks it looks like it's going to be a busy july and august in the Hurricane Center. So all of that and more is coming up. Special thanks to executive producers, Ken Prell and Andrew Robb and all of the hundreds of AccuWeather team members who work so hard and try to keep you informed with the best information each and every moment of the day about the weather and everything about climate and beyond. For all of us with AccuWeather and AccuWeather.com, I'm meteorologist Dean DeVore. We'll talk to you next week for episode number nine in our summer series.